1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show,
0: It was several years ago that there was a caller to the program around Easter time who identified themselves as a Christian since childhood, regular churchgoer, love the Lord, tithe regularly. But as we were talking during the Easter season about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the caller went on to say that they didn't think that it was really that big of a deal, that it didn't matter if Christ's resurrection was literal or or a figurative one. That conversation demonstrated to me that there are those within the body of believers who identify as Christians that are, well, from weak on the fundamentals to utterly failing to understand, grasp, and embrace even what is foundational to our faith. The extreme ineffectiveness, perhaps, of the gospel because of either biblical illiteracy or the unwillingness to outright acknowledge that we are in conflict, that we as Christians believe in what the Bible teaches about not just the identity of Christ, but the role that he plays on the world stage of providing that substitutionary sacrifice through and by which we might be, through faith and grace, reconciled unto the very Creator himself. Today, we spend some time talking about that conflict that we seem, in some cases, to be avoiding. As we're joined by best-selling author, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, speaker on the broadcast Pathway to Victory, and, of course, uh, his latest book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. Dr. Robert Jeffress, great to have you back on the
2: program. Thanks for having me,
0: Craig. Let's talk about this sense of conflict. Certainly as we look at the world stage today, uh, we are in conflict, and particularly from the position of biblical Christianity, uh, we see there are two fundamental opposing views. There is biblical Christianity on one hand and the rest of the world. Sadly, though, there are many people and a growing number, particularly in uh, Western Christianity, that seem to rather than recognize the conflict, it's almost as if we're choosing to eliminate it.
2: Well, that's right, and the one statistic, Craig, that was behind my writing this book was the fact that 57% of evangelical Christians say there's more than one way to God other than faith in Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact that Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that is just astounding that Christians are waffling and wavering on the most foundational belief of historic Christianity. And you know, the truth is, Craig, if we give up this belief, we might as well close our church doors. I mean, if there are many ways to heaven, I mean, the death of Jesus Christ was a horrendous mistake. I mean, why did he suffer not just the physical agony, but the spiritual agony on the cross of bearing the sins of the world, if indeed all roads end up to heaven anyway? And uh, I just find that so many Christians are waffling on this issue that I wrote this book in order to, first of all, ground Christians so that they can reclaim this foundational truth, but also know how to share it in a compassionate, yes, but a compelling way with other people.
0: From your perspective and viewpoint, Dr. Jeffers, how do we reconcile this? I mean, better than 50% of evangelical Christians that do not fundamentally have a grasp on the foundation of our faith. I understand that, you know, American, we must certainly, in Embrace our pluralism from a constitutional liberty view. I get that. But Christians can't be embracing this pluralism from a theological view. I mean, to do so at the core is an anathema.
2: Well, it is. And look, I think what's happened here is we've allowed the world to browbeat us into believing that to tell people that Buddhism is wrong and Islam is wrong and Hinduism is wrong, that that's hateful and intolerant, and nobody wants to be uh, accused of that. But really, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, the most loving thing we can do is share that with somebody. I was on a plane not long ago, and I was seated next to a guy, and he found out I was a Christian pastor. And he said... you know, I used to be a Christian, but I gave it up. And I said, well, why did you give it up? He said, I could no longer worship a God who was so intolerant as to say there was only one way to worship him. So I said to him, just imagine this airplane were to crash. The cabin started filling up with smoke. The flight attendant stood at the front of the plane waving a flashlight saying, follow me, there's one way out of this burning airplane. Would you accuse her of being intolerant or hateful because she insisted there was only one way out? Of course not. You would thank her, and you would follow her. And, and that's what we've got to do, Craig, is realize that this message is not a message of hate. It's a message of love. If we hated Muslims and, and Buddhists and Hindus, we would keep our mouths shut. But this truth that Christ is the way to heaven was meant not to keep people out of heaven, but to invite them in.
0: Part of the issue here, too, Dr. Jeffers, perhaps uh, a stigma that is infecting certainly American culture, if not Western culture overall, this notion that somehow it's more important to be liked than be truthful about God's word. I mean, there is perhaps a bit of an inconvenience to that passage in John 14, where Christ declares that he is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And of course, if we speak that truth in that fashion, uh, we're not always going to be necessarily the most popular person at the party.
2: No, we're not. But again, if a fireman's trying to lead you out of a house that's on fire, do you really care, you know, (laughs) what kind of tone he uses when he says... Follow me. I mean, you want to get out. I think the bottom line, what it comes back to is, Craig, many Christians really don't believe what Jesus said. They really believe that there's more than one way to God. And I don't think they've thought through the implications of this. Look, if Jesus was wrong when he said, no man comes to the Father but by me, and really all roads do lead to heaven... He was wrong because either he was lying, he knew what he was saying was untrue, or he was mistaken, he didn't know what he was talking about, and therefore was not omniscient. Either way, if Jesus was wrong, he's not the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then when he died on the cross, he died for his sins, not for our sins. And that means you and I are still left in our sins. What I'm saying is, Christianity, the whole faith unravels like a cheap sweater if Jesus was wrong on this signal issue.
0: It's almost as if we don't want to accept um, the exclusivity of Christianity because we're afraid that perhaps someone won't believe as we do and therefore be left out, and we don't want to be mean toward people. It's almost as if we we don't understand the dynamic of the fact that it's God's creation he gets to set the rules and, and even this notion deeper in terms of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God it seems like there's a, a fundamental disconnect there
2: no. there is. You know, my friend David Jeremiah did the blurb on the cover of the book, and he tells a great story I recount in the book. You know, he said one day after a Sunday sermon, a woman came up to him, just irate, and she said, Dr. Jeremiah, I want you to know the God I serve, the God I serve would not send people to hell for simply not believing in Jesus. And David surprised her by saying, you're right, the God you serve wouldn't do that, because the God you serve is an imaginary God. And that's what's happened. You know, somebody said uh, God created man in his own image, and ever since that time, man has tried to return the favor. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us have created the God we wish existed rather than worshiping the God who actually exists. And when you look at the God of the Bible, the real Bible, he's holy. We're not. There's a chasm between us, and Christ is not just one way, he's the only way to bridge that ca- ca- uh, that uh, that great divide, that chasm. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus fell down and cried out to the Heavenly Father, Father, if there is any way, any other way, let this experience pass by me. But there was no other way, that's why heaven was silent. Jesus' death on the cross was the only way to bridge that chasm between God and man.
0: We would like to serve a tolerant God, but forget that we actually serve a God who is a just God.
2: That's right. And, you know, God is just and God is loving. God's justice demands that a payment be made for our sin. God's love provides that he made the payment himself himself. And really, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection of God's justice and his love.
0: There is this obsession that America seems to have with tolerance these days, and I want to talk a bit about that when we come back after a brief break. If you've just joined the conversation, our visit today with pastor, radio speaker, and best-selling author Dr. Robert Jeffress. His new book, perhaps one of the most critical ones and certainly most foundational of a topic to the fundamental historical Christian faith. Not all roads lead to heaven. Dr. Robert Jeffress, our guest. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Special guest on today's edition of Lifeline. We're visiting with senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory broadcast, best selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress. A look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. I'm curious about part of this issue here, Dr. Jeffress, if where we're, we're, we're failing at this point is that we've perhaps laid a lot of our faith at the so-called altar of tolerance, this notion that, well, if God is really a loving God, surely He will accept us so long as we are sincere in our effort to reach Him, whether we call God Allah, Yahweh, or Maitreya.
2: Well, that's right. And by the way, that's one of the objections that I deal with in this book. You know, I wrote this book, Craig, so that people could reclaim this belief that Christ is the only way to heaven. And I, you know, answer seven of the major objections to that belief, the one you just raised. Well, you know, people simply call God by a different name or the objection, well, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Isn't it unfair that God would send them to hell for rejection? You know, Jesus they never heard of, or what happens to infants and small children who are too young to trust in Christ? 1 Peter 3.15 says we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. But uh, let's take that question you just raised about, well, you know, what about tolerance or what about people who just call God by another name? Well, you know, names <clears throat> mean something. Allah of the Koran is not Jehovah God of the Bible. Allah is an imaginary God. Jehovah is a real God. Allah has no sons. Jehovah has one son who died on the cross for our sins. Allah says the land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Ishmael. Jehovah God, the real Bible, says the God that Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not the same gods. And I illustrated that to my congregation, Greg, uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about David Jeremiah. I said to my congregation, just suppose for several weeks we announced that Dr. Jeremiah was going to be the guest preacher at our church. And everybody packed in on a particular Sunday to hear David Jeremiah but instead, I stood up and preached. And after the service, a few of you came up to me and, trying to mask your disappointment, said, Well, wait a minute, is Dr. Jeremiah sick today? Oh, no, not that I know what I said. Well, the bulletin says he's going to preach here. It says right here, David Jeremiah. I said, oh, well, David Jeremiah is just another name I go by sometimes. Sometimes I use David Jeremiah, sometimes Joel Olsteen, sometimes Al Sharpton, but we're all preachers, we're all the same. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. Names represent something, and the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 1 John 5.13 says, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the the Son of God, that you might have eternal
0: life. Now, part of this is not only a, a complete disconnect from the fundamental teachings of our faith, but perhaps some some extreme intellectual dishonesty, too. I mean, isn't this partly born out of this notion that somehow it's possible to have multiple truths all be valid simultaneously?
2: Boy, you hit the nail on the head with that. In fact, that's one of the things I talk about in Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. You know, there's what we call absolute truth, and then there's relative truth. Both are real phenomenon. There's absolute truth and relative truth. For example, if I ask you, what temperature does water freeze at? Well, The answer is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not 35 degrees. It's not 16. It's 32 degrees is the freezing temperature of water. But if I were to ask you, what's a comfortable room temperature? Well, that's relative truth. For some people, it's 72. For some people, it's 68. For some people, it's 55. When it comes to the question, how can a person have a right relationship with God, the world today thinks, That's a relative truth. It's a matter of whatever you think it is. But God says, no, there's an absolute answer to that question. There is only one way to me, and it's through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a new concept. I show in the book, I have a chapter called The Old Way Was One Way, showing how from the very beginning of the Old Testament, God always required an exclusive way to worship him.
0: I wonder if we come back full circle that this also doesn't reveal a fundamental um, inaccuracy or misunderstanding of everything from the nature of God. To the nature of mankind, the notion of God's demand for sacrifice, for the remission of sin, uh, and that there's a disconnect here, so that all of a sudden we get very, well, I was going to say sloppy grace, it's almost non-existent grace, because we're trying to define the terms of engagement with God based on our terms as opposed to His terms.
2: Another great point. You know, the problem, the reason we embrace this uh, uh, inclusivism and reject exclusivity is because of two things. First of all, we think too little of God, and secondly, we think too high of ourselves. Uh, You know, we think, well, we're able to overlook sin in other people. Why can't God be as tolerant as we are? I mean, every day we overlook sin in others. We overlook sin in ourselves. But the fact that we do that is not a sign of our... Uh, how much we are like God it's a sign of how much we are unlike God you know the word uh, holy means a cut above, separate, distinct God is called holy he is different than we are he said through Habakkuk the prophet mine eyes are too pure to uh, see evil. God cannot tolerate evil like we are. He is holy, we're not. And we overestimate our own goodness as well. You know, we tend to judge ourselves based on other people. We find somebody who's worse than we are and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, the drug dealer, the child molester. I must be pretty good. But that's not the standard God uses. You know, I remind people that the geographical distance between the North Pole and the South Pole is considerable. But it's also negligible when compared to the distance between the North Pole and the farthest star in the universe. It's the same way with us. The difference between human beings seems to be a great deal. You know, the difference between Hitler and Walt Disney seems to be a lot of difference in in, in morality. But in God's eyes, the difference between Walt Disney and Adolf Hitler is negligible compared to the difference between Walt Disney and you and me. And God, who is absolutely perfect. And only Jesus Christ can bridge that gap between God and man. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all must make a payment for our sins or allow God to make that payment before us.
0: So, a fundamental misunderstanding of not only the character of God, but who we are in relationship to God's character. And then at the other extreme, and that is perhaps a fundamental denial of Satan and his efforts at not only watering down the gospel, but the outright perversion of that message.
2: Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the Bible says to avoid the way of Cain in Jude, verse 11. The way of Cain describes Cain's uh, uh, decision that he would try to approach God on his own terms rather than God's terms. And every other world religion, Craig, is really a a deviation uh, or a derivation of the way of Cain. Man's attempt to approach God is in his own way. And, uh, you know, Second Corinthians 11 says that Satan appears as an angel of light to deceive people. And other religions are really tools of Satan to lead people away from God. You know, when he says an angel of light, he appears sometimes as. Isn't it interesting that Muhammad rec- uh, claims that he received an angelic revelation of Islam and that Joseph Smith uh, claims that an angel delivered to him the teaching of Mormonism I have no doubt an angel appeared to both men, but it wasn't an angel from God. And uh, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 11, we should not be surprised that Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Many world religions... Uh, many uh, groups uh, I mean they they sound good they look good they sound like they're teaching great moral principles but they are leading people away from the only way to God which is faith in Christ alone well
0: and at the core too not only is it the sense of you know all roads lead to heaven biblically ignorant it shows that we're we're theologically dishonest here you make a beautiful illustration inside of your book not all roads lead to heaven this idea that somehow I can get on any highway and wind up at first baptist church in dallas now i guarantee you if i took off here and got on 101 here in the san francisco bay area it could lead me to san diego and eventually to mexico and i could make my way all the way up through the oregon coast and eventually wind up in canada but no matter what direction i go on highway 101 here's what i can guarantee you it will not lead me to first baptist church in dallas texas
2: that's right. And you know, let's say, let's keep that analogy. Let's say that uh, all that, that in fact all roads do lead to heaven. Well, that means Christianity is wrong. Uh if Christi- if if Jesus is wrong about this, then you put your faith in the wrong person. Christianity is not the way to heaven if Jesus was wrong about this. But then here's the question. Which of the other thousands of ways to God do you choose? Uh, and, and, And what really confuses the matter is most all of other religions claim to be exclusive as well. So, I mean, you're left with not knowing how to get there if Christianity is wrong. And the fact is, I mean, all different religions are not different roads that lead up the same mountain of truth. Jesus said there's only one way to him.
0: Our guest today, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts
0: author, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. By the way, the new book, recently published by Baker Books, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Dr. Jeffress's website associated with the broadcast Pathway to Victory. Simply go to ptv.org. That's ptv.org. In your book, Dr. Jeffress, you walk through Four, I think, very fundamental and yet critical definitions that I think will help the average reader better understand um, not only the slippery slope that that leads to some of this very sloppy and dangerous theology, but also the importance of of defining the differences between some of these fundamental worldviews. Walk us through, if you would, briefly some definitions on universalism, pluralism, inclusivism, and exclusivism.
2: Well, I don't want to get lost in the theological weeds in the few minutes that we have, but let me just basically say, you know, universalism is the belief that uh, everybody is going to heaven regardless of what they believe or don't believe pluralism kind of limits it to what needs to be religious people, but it really doesn't matter uh, what uh, religious people, uh, what religion it is, that people are saved by the death of Jesus Christ, whether they know his name or not. And that's the point that I want to make, because one of the key questions, Craig, is, well, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? The pluralist would say that's really no problem, that they are welcomed into heaven anyway. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot find one example in the New Testament of anyone uh, being saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus. Of course, the objection is, well, what about those who have never heard? Isn't it patently unfair for God to send people to hell who've never heard about Jesus? And here's the answer I give in the chapter devoted to this. Romans 1 says, everyone, by looking at creation, can know that there is a God. And although an acceptance of the, re, of the existence of God is not enough to save a person, it is enough if rejected to condemn a person. You know, we used to talk about the heathen in Africa, as if all the heathen congregated in Africa. I'm not sure that's why that was, but let's, let's talk about a 12-year-old girl who lives in Syria. She's never heard about Jesus, never seen a Bible. How is she saved? Well, she can look into the heavens and know she didn't create this world. That can't save her, but if she responds to the light God gives her, I think the Bible is clear that God will send to that girl the light she needs to trust in Jesus as her Savior. I mean, he did that for the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Here was a guy who wanted to know God. He's in his chariot reading Isaiah, can't make heads or tails of it. God miraculously sends uh, the evangelist Philip with the message of the gospel. Or think about the Roman centurion, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He was a lover of God, prayed regularly, gave his money to the poor by most people's standards, that should be enough to go to heaven. But not by God's standard. He needed to hear Jesus. And so God miraculously sends Peter to preach to him the gospel. What I'm saying is whenever God sees a heart that really wants to know him, you can know for sure that God is going to get the information about Jesus. That person needs to be saved.
0: And certainly if God is capable of sending his only son to be born of a virgin, to suffer, die, Rise again on the third day. If God is capable of doing all of that, he is certainly capable of individually revealing himself to persons who are perhaps beyond the reach of the church or not having uh, ever been exposed to the gospel in the fashion and form in which we would understand it.
2: Well, that's right, and I don't think it's any accident that missionaries go where they go. I don't think it's any accident that the radio signals and television signals and the Internet literally reach around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: What do we make of some of these individuals? And there are big names that come to mind, including the one big one that's down in your home state that (laughs) would look seriously at the television screen and say, well, now, when it comes to this matter of uh, does this mean that someone for. For example, who is um, Jewish is necessarily going to hell? How do we deal with this exclusivity—the notion that salvation is limited to those who exercise faith in Christ and Christ alone? And of course, we've heard these answers. You articulate one in the book that's sort of this: "Well, I'm not sure. Don't know. Not up to me to judge." How do we give an answer for that from a biblical perspective?
2: Well, and we've all seen people wilt under the television lights and basically, you know, break out in a sweat, stutter and stammer, and basically say. I don't know, I don't know, we have to leave that up to God. Well, the problem with that is God has already made his judgment about that, and he's articulated it in the Scripture, and we need to be bold and compassionate and share that message with other people as well to save them from hell. You know, when people... accuse me of being anti-Semitic. I've been accused of that because I insist that Jews, like everybody else, must trust in Christ to be saved. That's not anti-Semitic. Jesus is the one who said it. Last time I checked, he was a Jew. The Apostle Peter was a Jew who said it. Acts 4.12, there is no salvation except by the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Jew of the Jews, and yet he gave his entire life to preaching that there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus. So, when you have the three most prominent Jews of the New Testament saying you have to believe in Jesus, well, I mean, I think that speaks for itself.
0: Early on in the book, you talk about this notion that uh, part of this slippery slope has been the fact that largely we as evangelical Christians on this very topic have been out-marketed, out-maneuvered, uh-huh. out-fought, and out-argued. How do we come back full circle? How do we redeem this to bring it back Back to this fundamental teaching that narrow, as the scripture tells us, narrow is the gate.
2: Well, you know, the fact is, I, I think babe, the fact that 57% of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to God, I mean, really is a reflection on what's being taught and not being taught in the pulpits today. I mean, as I, you mentioned, several major pastors who are waffling on this issue My old professor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say, Whatever is a mist in the pulpit becomes a fog in the pew. And I think a lot of people in the pew are foggy about this issue because they're not hearing it taught from pastors who want to be loving and kind and don't want to run anybody off and so forth. And they are neglecting their role to be prophets and evangelists teaching the Word of God. And, Craig, let me just say in the closing moments, that's why I wrote Not All roads lead to heaven to equip Christians to reclaim this truth and I encourage Christians to get it and read it for themselves but also be ready to share that answer you know most people if their child or grandchild asked them well do you believe a, a, a Muslim is going to hell how could you say that they wouldn't know what to say or if they were asked well what about children and infants who are too young to trust in Christ they couldn't give any reason why they believe they're in heaven all of those things I cover in my book and as we enter this Easter season especially as people are more open to Jesus. Maybe some of our listeners know people who follow other faiths. They've never known how to approach them without offending them. Here's a great idea. Get a copy of Not Our Roads Lead to Heaven and just give it to them as a gift saying, I'd like to share with you why my faith is so important to me. I'll guarantee you this title. Not all roads lead to heaven. Will grab their attention immediately, and it may be a great conversation starter.
0: Are we as the church, as we kind of conclude our conversation together, Doctor Jeffress? Are we as a, as the church at at a very critical? Crossroads, because it, it, it occurs to me that this is a this is as as they say sometimes the deal breaker. Yeah, uh, that, that if we as the church do not fundamentally understand, if we're not capable of of giving an answer for the hope that lies within, as Scripture exhorts us, if we do not understand the necessity of atonement, or if we somehow uh, recoil against this notion of, of spilt blood, atonement for sin, uh, appeasement, uh, propitiation, things of this sort, if 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 we find all of that very uncomfortable, and we are therefore not able to effectively communicate the faith that we supposedly live and believe in, it would seem to me that, that that absent that, that the church becomes horrifically neutered.
2: It does. And look, you know, you made an allusion to this. We lost the gay marriage battle because we were outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on the issue. And, you know, marriage is a very important issue. But it pales in comparison to this issue. This issue is the foundation of the Christian faith. How can a person be reconciled with God? And if we allow ourselves to be outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on this, really, we need to shut the doors of our church and uh, keep our money for ourselves. Forget about evangelism and missions. We don't have a message to share with anyone if everyone's going to be in heaven anyway.
0: A sobering message that comes from the very heart of God himself. Don't believe me? Read the scripture. And you can work through a better understanding of this topic, not only for yourself, but in sharing your faith with others, as Dr. Robert Jefferson so aptly points out. The book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. Newly published, as we mentioned earlier, by Baker Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as ordering it online through the Pathway to Victory website at ptv.org. That's ptv.org. And our thanks, as always, to Dr. Robert Jeffress, senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: We're going to turn a corner here to a topic that I think we're all pretty familiar with. In fact, we've heard a lot about it in the press and maybe you even had some experiences or seen them at a distance. I'm talking, of course, about homelessness. And we've all heard the statistics, X number of kids sleep in cars, X number of adults in doorways, X number die from exposure every year. It no doubt, I hope, as a person of faith, strikes a chord with you, but hmm, maybe if you're like most people, not much of one. At least not until it happens to us, or until we get to know someone affected by homelessness. Notice I didn't say just meet, I mean really get to know someone. Well, that's exactly what Ron Hall did. And he details his experiences inside the pages of a New York Times best-selling book called Same Kind of Different As Me, soon to be a spectacular film of the same title. And Ron, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us.
1: And thank you, Craig. And just a quick update. Yes, our, our film opened uh, Friday, uh, October the 20th, uh, nationwide. So it is uh now a spectacular film that's in theaters all across America.
0: Well, that's good to hear, and of course, we want to urge listeners to uh, to really take a moment and watch that heartwarming film. It's got a, a great cast of characters in it. Uh, Greg Kinnear is in it, Renee Zellweger, uh, John Voight, and the story really, in many respects, follows the, the chronicling that you do in the book that you co-wrote with, frankly, the gentleman's kind of the theme of this entire story, Denver, um, who essentially crossed your path in an unlikely set of circumstances, a lot of which I, as I recall, kind of harkens back to some challenges that you were facing in your own marriage.
1: Well, uh, yes, I was trying to put back a marriage. My wife and I were both trying to put back a marriage after my uh, bout with infidelity. But um, she was a very godly woman, and I was a believer, but uh, was, was was not on the uh, path, walking the path, uh, you know, with God at that time, I was, I was chasing hard after money and got caught up in just my own uh, self-importance and, um, and just, uh, I don't know, I, did, I made a deliberate decision to destroy a marriage, and but a godly wife uh, through my sin as far as the East is from the West and promised she would never bring it up again if I would only promise not to do that again. And so I, at that moment, I said, honey, I will absolutely take you on, up on that offer. And, and what, not only I will do anything you ask me the rest of our lives together. I just didn't realize that it wasn't long after that that she was going to ask me to be friends with a homeless man who always threatened to kill everybody. Yeah, so you well. have to be careful about what you promise. <laughs> 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 but it, it, it's it's
0: interesting because, as you indicate, uh, there were missteps. A lot of it, as you suggest, Ron, came from your focus on, I think, a lot of us who, who, who struggle with um, not being number one. We're used to being number one. We kind of enjoy being number one one. And so uh, chasing the the bigger cars, the bigger house, um, the bigger bank account and all of that for a lot of people is is what life seems to be all about. You had a successful career in Fort Worth as an art dealer there, got caught up in some indiscretions as you indicate so your wife's deal of, hey uh, we got to work on getting closer together and how about maybe a little bit of a, a common burden or a common goal that we can work on and that found the two of you working together at a homeless shelter. Tell us about your first encounter then with Denver.
1: Well, the reason we we actually went there, Craig, is that she had a literal dream that she believed was from God. And she said to me the next morning, Ron, it's, uh, I had a dream about a poor man who was wise. It was like a verse in Ecclesiastes where Solomon wrote, there was found in the city a certain poor man who was wise and by his wisdom, our city would be changed. And she said, and I believe he has a message for us and our lives will be changed as well if we can find him. So that's what uh, prompted us to uh, begin our journey into the inner city haunts of the homeless. And it uh, was a quite quite a scary place to, to be. And uh, anyway, we began driving around there the first day, uh, looking for this man of her dream. And we didn't see him, so By the end of the day, we decided to volunteer at a homeless shelter. Oh, I'd say we decided. I'm saying she decided that we would volunteer without ever asking me. And uh, so anyway, um, actually, when I went in there, I I, I was germophobic, or at least I was at the time. And I asked the uh, manager or chef uh, that was preparing an evening meal, and I said, hey, are there any infectious diseases floating around this place? And he uh, said, "Oh, absolutely. We tried to infect them all with love." <laughs> I thought, oh, man, what have I gotten myself into? This smart LA guy He's trying to make me feel bad about myself. But anyway, um, yeah, we'd been there a couple of weeks serving the evening meal when all of a sudden, in uh, breaks into the this guy breaks into the uh, dining hall uh, and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, "I'm going to kill whoever done it. I'm going to kill whoever stole my shoes." And my wife starts saying, that's him, that's him. And I said, that's who? She said, that's the man I had to dream about. And then she told me, she said, and I believe I heard from God that you have to be his friend, Ron, and find out if my dream is really from God. And I said, but honey, I wasn't into that meeting you had with God. If I'm going to be friends with someone who's threatening to kill everybody, I think I should go talk to God myself. So... <laughs> That's how we uh, we got started. But I asked the guy that was standing next to me on the serving line, I said, who is that crazy man? He said, nobody knows his name, but he's been on the streets longer than anyone could ever remember. And she, they, he said he rules the streets with fear and intimidation. And most people just call him suicide because messing with him is the equivalent of committing suicide. And he said, if he's dangerous and he's crazy, you ought to stay away from him because he'll hurt you.
0: You've got Uh, to, at this point, Ron, be thinking to yourself, what am I getting myself into? I mean, it's clear that you (laughs) loved your wife, Debbie, that you wanted to take the necessary steps to, to reconcile and to bring about healing. In your marriage, she had certain conditions, albeit perhaps unusual ones, but in <laughs> conditions nevertheless that I think were, were, were clearly God honoring ones. And suddenly you find yourself having gone from, I just want to not get, you know, kicked out of the house or served with divorce papers, to suddenly yeah. being here working in a homeless shelter and having an encounter with a man that, I don't know, perhaps at arm's distance, as we see characterized in the fell, might be a little bit on the schizophrenic side. Certainly he somebody was. who spent a life on the streets, who doesn't have the uh, the most refined manners in public, and <laughs> your wife is telling you, that's the man that God yeah. told me you need to be friends with. Wow. That was the man
1: uh, in her dream, she said. So, well, and, and uh, you know, it was... Uh, i I was just willing to write a check to get out of there and uh, and build them a whole new mission if they needed it because at the time I was wealthy enough to have done that but uh, uh, you know that wasn't going to be the easy way out for me, and she said i would be uh, we would be volunteering there, and we would continue to do so until further notice mm. and that that began uh, a, a new adventure for me. Uh, You know, I had spent most of my life, I was an international art dealer and traveled the world, buying and selling a lot of very important uh, works of art to uh, museums and and large collectors. And I visited many beautiful homes and collections. And so, you know, being stuck in a smelly old homeless shelter was the last place on earth that I wanted to be. And uh, But, you know, God had a different idea for me, and he was about to repaint the canvas of my life and rewrite my life story
0: let's take a time out because i want don't want to interrupt you ron when you pivot to your first encounter with denver moore and eventually the friendship that grows between, quite frankly, two men from very different worlds, and yet God brings together for one very common purpose. Ron Hall is with us tonight. Ron is the co-author of the New York Times best-selling book, Same Kind of Different As Me, published by Thomas Nelson. The new film, as we mentioned, has been newly released by the same name, Same Kind of Different As Me. It's showing in theaters across America, even as we speak. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues.